everyone, and welcome to Better Done Than Perfect, a podcast for SaaS founders and product people. Our awesome guest today is Jana Basto, founder of ProdPad, and we're going to talk about now, next, later roadmapping today. This show is brought to you by Userlist, an email automation platform for SaaS companies. Onboard, engage, and nurture your customers as well as marketing leads. To follow the best practices, download our free printable email planning worksheets at useless.com slash worksheets. Hey, Jana. Hi. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. We're very excited to learn from you today. So, ProdPet approaching 10 years of your journey. Tell us more for those who don't know what it does product overview and where your team is at right now. Yeah, sure. So ProdPad is software for product teams. It's a tool that allows you to capture details on your roadmap, uh, figure out where is it meant to be going, uh, tied into the objectives, your OKRs, capture ideas and experiments that you want to run, feedback from your customers, and tie it all in together to a uh, space that your product team and the rest of your team can use to understand you know, what sort of product decisions you should be making. And how was your journey of the years? Because it has been a while. I remember we met in Brighton in 2016 and it's, oh my, ages ago. Where is your team at at the moment? Right. So we've uh, completely bootstrapped the entire thing. So it was actually originally founded as a, a hack tool between myself and my co-founder years ago. Just something we started to help us do our own job uh, because tools like this just didn't exist for product people back then. After a couple of years, we actually got up our guts to quit our jobs and go focus on it full time. And so that's when we launched it out there to the world. And it really took off with product people. And so we've been able to build the tool to the point that we've now got hundreds of customers around the world. We've got a team that's growing. We've uh, grown the team by um, uh, five people this year, going on six, I think. Um, and yeah, we've uh, really seen the product management space grow up in that time. So one of your strategies for growth is educating your audience and doing talks and preaching your method. And this framework, Now, Next, Later, it's both awesome for the talks and for people to use it. Tell us more, how did that come up in, in the history? Right. Yeah. So the Now Next Later was actually uh, uh, born out of some discovery that we did really early on in ProdPad's history. So a lot of people don't know this, but uh, the first version of ProdPad was actually based around a timeline roadmap because that's how I used to do my roadmaps. I mean, when I was a, a product manager at my previous company, I was asked to make roadmaps and I used to make them based on you know, how I saw everyone else doing them, which was you know, essentially a Gantt chart, a, a timeline with a whole bunch of features and due dates. And it wasn't really anything that I flagged as uh, doing wrong because whenever I delivered one of these, my boss would give me a little pat on the head and say that this is what he was hoping to see and would expect me to go deliver it. And, you know, I wasn't always able to deliver on these roadmaps, but I didn't necessarily think that that was a fault of the roadmap or my planning. I just thought that that was, you know, my fault of my own uh, delivery. I didn't really realize that other product managers were struggling with some of the same things until we got to the point that we digitized this format of the roadmap into what became ProdPad. Now, this is before ProdPad had a name or customers. Again, this is just a, a tool that we were using internally only. But we started sharing ProdPad with the product managers around us and getting their feedback on it. 
And at first, people loved it. They loved this idea of being able to really easily and quickly take features and stuff and put it on the roadmap and stretch it, squish it, and show where it sat on the roadmap and then you know quickly display this to the rest of the team. But after about a month or so, we started getting feedback from our early customers who said that they wanted to take all the things from the first part of the roadmap and move it over by about a month. Because essentially what had happened is that they hadn't delivered on so much of the roadmap. They needed to like <laughs> multiple select items from the roadmap and move it over. And we didn't have multi-select. Now, had we listened to our customers, we would have just built some multi-select drag and drop tool, which you know would have been a little bit complicated to do in jQuery at the time because we you know, I didn't really know how to do much with jQuery. We were just putting together something simple. But we asked the five whys. We really started digging down into understanding what people were trying to achieve with their roadmaps. We started realizing that roadmaps were actually setting these teams up for failure because no one was delivering on their roadmap. No one was actually, you know, hitting what they'd said that they would in the month and that they were all making up dates. They were all being almost beholden to the deadline that the timeline sort of created at the top. And they were actually just doing the best they could by stacking things in the order that made sense on the roadmap, but actually weren't really paying any attention to whether the timeline actually made sense to things underneath. And so we started asking ourselves saying, well, what would happen if we got rid of that timeline? You know, if we just sort of had a roadmap that really made you think less about the time and more about you know, the, the, you know, when something's going to be out, but more about when it's going to be out relative to the next thing, the order in which things are going to be happening, which, you know, that's how people do think. And so, you know, myself and Simon, we sat down in a coffee shop, which was where we used to work before we had any sort of office space and all that. We sat down and uh, the first version of the, the now and next later roadmap was drawn out on a napkin where we came up with uh, something that had three columns and it was called current near-term future. Not as catchy as now, next, later. That came in years later, but current, near-term, future. And these three buckets were sort of taken from, some people might have seen this, which is the uh, it's like a cone of uncertainty or sort of a graph where you can see uh, the further out you get from the, the bottom right, the bottom left, sorry, the more uncertain something becomes. And so we're really trying to graph out uncertainty in time here so that things in the current column were the things that you had a, a good handle on. These are the things that were in progress right now, or you were spending discovery time on now or working on right now. Uh, things that were happening in the near term were things that were on the horizon. You could see that were happening um, after that. And then things in the, the future were things that were sort of far off in the distance. You knew that you were heading towards them. You wanted to give people that guidance, but you didn't want to commit your resources to trying to break these problems down into lots and lots of detail. And so when we decided to try this thing, we set ourselves a goal of creating a simple version of this. Uh, it was a much simpler build. And so we quickly put something together into the ProgPad very, very early version of it and put it on the page and shared it with the product people who had been giving us feedback. And you know, one of the questions that we had really early on was whether we could actually keep it on the same page, which was you know, the, the roadmap page. It was called Roadmap. And we weren't sure, but you know, it still solved the same problem as a roadmap. 
you know, it didn't look like a classic roadmap in, in any way that a lot of people thought about a roadmap, but it still solved the same problem in that it allowed you to map out the things that you were doing and it, it communicated the strategic steps that you were going to take. It was a way to communicate the way that you're going to hit your vision. And so we we stuck with it. We're like, yeah, that's a, that's a roadmap. It's just, you know, a current near-term future roadmap. It's a different type of roadmap, what's called a lean roadmap. And people loved it. They loved the freedom it gave them. And we sort of felt that it gave people permission to step away from the timeline roadmap and into something that gave them a little bit more freedom to think about the order in which they were tackling things and less about whether they were going to get something out in time on in December. I mean, they didn't know how big of the team was going to be in December, let alone whether they, they were going to deliver on time. And so once we got this version of the what became the Now Next Later roadmap in Prodpad, we started seeing users adopting Prodpad very readily and taking it on board and sharing it around and you know making use of this and publishing the roadmaps using this format. So it was really interesting to see this take uh, this Now Next Later framework play a huge part in the advent of Prodpad's growth. How hard bake is it? into the product? Is it uh, mandatory for all your customers to have your their roadmap in this shape or do they still get the traditional alternatives if they want to? ProdPad is a wider product than just the roadmaps. So road mapping is one aspect of ProdPad. Uh, we also have the idea management module and the feedback uh, management module. If you want to take those things and put them onto the roadmap, we give you a now, next, later format of the roadmap. We don't support a timeline roadmap because we know that it's setting up for failure, right? We're the tool that helps you become a better product manager. And we're not going to set you off on the wrong path by giving you tools that are not going to help you in that journey. So we ditched the timeline roadmap quite a long time ago because we could see that it was just setting people up for failure. Now, with the Now Next Later format of the roadmap, you can rename those titles. So we have seen people take different versions of that or create different versions of that that suit their company culture, their way of communicating it. So some people have stuck with current near-term future. Um, some people stick with now, next, later, because it's nice and catchy. I've seen some people try to do like a, a way to like wean your team away from the yearly roadmap and into the now, next, later is to do the Q1, Q2, Q3++, where you're sort of getting the, 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 uh, getting into the area of saying, well, this is this sort of horizon, this is this next horizon, and this is this bigger horizon beyond that, without getting too uh, specific about dates. So you can rename those columns, but we don't give you a strict timeline sort of thing. And the other thing is, is that just because there's no dates, uh, like timeline at the top, doesn't mean you can't put dates on items on the roadmap itself. You know, we don't live in la-la land. It doesn't mean that you can't put a date on a roadmap card. It just means that you're not forcing everything in the roadmap itself to have dates just by the format of the roadmap. You basically answered my next question, like verbatim, because I was about to ask whether you can put any time labels, because we don't, like you mentioned, leadership does want some sort of yeah. understanding like when things are going to happen. And it's not just leadership who needs that. I mean, sometimes there'll be things that are strategically important. Your product may have some sort of cadence, like you're building for the education system. And therefore, if you don't get something done in time for uh, September, you know, the school year start, uh, you know, it loses value if you don't get it done in time. Or maybe you're in e-commerce and if you don't have something done by, you know, Black Friday Christmas. or by Christmas, <laughs> you're, you're in trouble, right? Now, 
the thing is, is that there is sometimes value in hustling to get something done in time for those particular things. It becomes really unhealthy if you're trying to hustle every last project. And the problem is, is that the timeline roadmap, by the format of that roadmap, by having that that timeline at the top, means that everything in your roadmap has a due date and a duration. If you know, once a year, you have a big push for something that has to get out, you can generally manage the project management work that has to go into that, as long as you're willing to give on some scope or time or put the project management planning as in plan further enough ahead to make that happen, and you're willing to be flexible on things that happen around it, right? That's okay. But if you're trying to do all of your projects and say, well, this one has to happen at this month, and this one has to happen two weeks later, and this one has to happen two weeks after that, you're going to end up with releases that just get crunched. Like one goes wrong and the rest go wrong, and that's the rest of your year written off. <laughs> you know, same thing goes, it might not be strategically important, uh, but it might be externally driven, which makes it strategically important. Like when GDPR came down the line or any of these privacy or legislative things come down the line, you know, everyone in the world um, or every product team out there had something that was uh, driven that uh, said that they had to have something done by that that fateful May Day. Because um, if you didn't, then you'd be in breach of some pretty serious laws. And so, you know, we saw lots and lots and lots of now next later roadmaps with cards that had that date on it. And yeah, sometimes you just had to say, hey, we're working on this now. It has a date on it. And other things are going to have to flex around it to make space for that. The key thing is, is not to penalize yourself by giving dates for everything unnecessarily, right? You can be, I like to think of teams being like 100% lean and like, you know, discovery led versus 100% delivery led and date driven. Now, no team should be one or the other, right? It's almost impossible to be completely you know, discovery, no dates, nothing like that, able to pivot tomorrow, nothing's going to affect you, you can just go work on whatever. Because as soon as you have any sort of reality constraints, you live in a real world where you have laws, you're going to have certain things that dictate that you're going to have to have at some point in time, a date that you're going to work to. So maybe you're saying, actually, you know what, only five or 10% of the time will we work to hard externally driven dates. Cool. And the rest of the time, you're flexible. That's awesome. That means that as you learn things, you can spend your time saying, hey, you know what? Next week, we're going to go learn this and do this. And the week after that, we've learned this and we're going to do this. Most teams are actually probably not quite that flexible. They're actually maybe, you know, 30, 70 or something like that, right? Other teams are much more on the the harder end of that where they're very, very, very date-driven. And maybe that's by design because they're actually an agency, as in they quite literally sell their time for money to customers. And they say, well, I have to have this out by this particular date because we sold our time to this client and we've told them it's going to be done by that date. Well, you're an agency. That's how how you make your money. And there's no shame in that, but that means that you've given no time over to discovery. And companies who want to be more discovery-led need to let go of some of those constraints themselves and give themselves space to say, hey, you know what? We're only going to take on maybe... 50% of these types of clients and leave the other 50% open to discovery. Because in that discovery space, that's where the magic happens. That's where you can discover really interesting, juicy problems that can solve issues that could be, that could allow you to scale much more than just solving a problem for one particular client. And those are the types of things that are going to help your company really, really grow and take off. 
This does remind me of uh, Shape Up, another famous methodology that is promoted by Basecamp. There is a free book written by Ryan Singer available out there. We adopted not the entire thing with the cycles, but uh, the idea of uh, stopping to prioritize our backlog endlessly and just focusing on like what's next and what's now, basically. And then there is another big backlog of requested features, and it's made our life so much easier. We were having those amazingly productive meetings, sitting down for 30 minutes and prioritizing like 16 features we're going to build next one by one in what order makes no sense in real life because there's always going to be something that's coming up. But ShapeUp has another important aspect to that, which we didn't quite adopt is the uh, development cycles. And this can be weekly sprints. It can be they practice, I think, six weeks versus two weeks cool off. I don't quite remember. So what's your opinion as a product person on those cycles? Because to us, they do seem a bit too rigid because they clash with real life all the time. How do entire teams operate on that? I have no idea. <laughs> right. I mean, in terms of the actual development cycles, do what works for the team and find the, the, the process that works for you. There was a great talk by Tom Lusmore at Mind the Product some years ago, and he uh, talked about the, uh, the concept of agile jazz, which was finding the notes in agile that work for you and not going with the one structured version that you know is written but finding the version that worked best for your team so you know shape up gives one version and that's what worked for their team and they they shared that and that's cool uh, we've got a version that works for us at Prodpad. Uh, we call it cycles, but they're two-week cycles. They're like a version of sprints that I guess would most closely map to Scrum Ban. That involves every week we do releases. I've seen lots and lots of other different variations that work well for teams and other variations that don't work. I think the key thing is, is finding something that does work. But at its key, what you should be doing is finding something that allows your team, your development team, to create short iterations between work, retro often, review the work that they're doing often, uh, release very often and make the releases as unstressful as possible so that there's no worry about whether it goes in this release or the next release or the one after that, right? So I love the idea of a release train so that, you know, even if it misses this release, don't worry, the train's coming, it can go out next release. That way no one's worried about the due dates on things and give them the autonomy to pick through their own backlog. So what I mean by that is what should be happening is the product team should be able to give them a clear understanding as to the overarching problems that we're trying to solve and a prioritized list of broken down stories and, and problems to be tackling. And then the development team should be able to say, great, so here's the list of stuff we could do. We've got clear guidance on all this stuff. We've got the designs that they're all, uh, it's all been through discovery. We know that's the right thing to do. It's all approved. Now, as a team, we're going to pick our own path through this. So we're going to go work on that, 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 and that. And that works out really nicely as one clump of work. We're going to break that down and do this in this particular sprint. And then, or cycle or whatever you want to call it. And then in the next cycle or sprint or whatever, we're going to grab this one and work on that. And then the next one, we're going to work on this one. And they get to choose how they're going to break that down because they know the code base better. They know what they're opening up and how they can patch it all together best. But as long as you give them a good oversight as to what's coming up the pipeline from product, you give them a clear understanding as to what 
good looks like and you know what it is that you're actually hoping from the outcomes of these things and you've given them space to create a really good process by which they can release things and have time to actually go back and iterate and retro them and fix them of course <laughs> then you'll end up with a product that just continuously gets better and goes in the direction that the product team is carving for it as well that's what we've been uh, facing at userlist that i never thought is a thing but at userlist basically for each feature design is like three percent of work and knowing what to build and then there is 97 percent of raw technical challenge almost with everything that we face well except for small improvements maybe and it's obvious that the developers need some sort of inspiration to tackle those real challenges and one day they may be set up for solving one problem and then they just must put it off so that their brain doesn't go on fire and go work on something else that's totally fine <laughs> i guess yeah i'm curious you as a founder and running a team that provides a tool for product management how much do you find yourself going in high touch contact with your customers and making them more successful through trying to improve their way they plan or anything or does it feel like they're most times doing their own great job at more or less planning their roadmap and product development <laughs> Such a great question. I mean, we're really lucky that our customers are product people because uh, product people are really good at getting involved. They they love a beta. They love getting involved with discovery and the, the whole process of building. They love being involved with any sort of chances to chat with us and tell us what they're thinking. And I love getting involved with conversations with them. So I still have regular conversations with our customers to find out, you know, how did you find us? What drew you to ProdPad? How is it going with ProdPad? You know, how are you doing your roadmaps today. So I stay in touch because I like to see how the different trends are going. Like what are people calling things on the roadmap, you know, this year versus last year? Like every year it's changing. All the trends are changing and you'll see different changes in our roadmap over the years because of what we've learned from our customers. So, you know, ProcPet is definitely not a set it and forget it type product. It's uh, constantly evolving based on the best practices we're seeing our customers do based on what we're learning from the other product luminaries out there, what we're seeing people talking about and writing about and what we're seeing the best companies doing. You know, I still do uh, product demos and I still do product success meetings with customers. And I still, when I get a chance, uh, I used to do a lot more of this, of course, but I, I used to head into uh, people's um, spaces, you know, go to uh, do little roadshows and hang out with product people and, you know, literally get myself immersed and see how they do product, which is huge learning, which of course we bring back into the product and provide essentially as part of the service of ProdPad. You know, ProdPad is the the only tool out there that helps you become a better product manager. You know, one of our principles has really been around um, saying no to anything that is going to lead you into bad habits, is going to not help you become a better product manager. You know, ProdPad actually actively helps you make better product decisions. Uh, and so we have been carving ProdPet out to be based on the best practices and uh, to actively help you ask the best questions about what you're building. And so the only way we can do that is by being really, really in touch with how the best product people do it. I'm glad that you mentioned on the industry vocabulary and how it changes and how every team has their own labels for things. So does your product allow for custom labeling. So some people can call it a roadmap. Some people can call it a like 
big plan, whatever, and also how you name each card. Is it a project? Is it a feature? Do you have a set in stone vocabulary or do you allow for like flexibility? So we currently have a set in stone vocabulary that's based on what we've seen as some of the most popular versions of things. Now, we're actually taking a look at whether we could or whether we should customize that because customization is a double-edged sword, right? I mean, you get the benefit that some people could use it to really, really customize it to how their team is working, right? But you could also get it so that people end up turning it into something that it's not, or or actually, and you also end up having to support a tool that becomes incredibly difficult to support because people are saying, hey, my so-and-so object isn't working and you don't know actually what they're talking about, right? Because you've got everything named something else, right? Are they talking about features or components or initiatives or objectives? If somebody's renamed their objectives to initiatives and their initiatives to objectives, and then there's contacting support, it can be incredibly difficult to try to figure out their vocabulary versus our own. So we've created stuff based on the industry best practices, but of course, that is always in flux. So we're trying to find something that sort of suits the widest use cases at the moment. What are your favorite resources, like communities or like magazines or something online to watch the latest product management trends and what's happening in the industry. It's right, probably yeah. a segue into me asking you about mind the product and how it all went, but let's just <laughs> do a general rake of favorite resources first. Yeah, I mean, always catching up on uh, what's going on on Mind the Product and the the podcast there, the product experience. I also have been listening to Startups for the Rest of Us, which is the, the podcast for bootstrap startups, which I find really interesting as well. It's fantastic. We actually come from the ecosystem of MicroConf and we joined Tiny Seed two years ago. So we're well immersed into their school of thought as well. Excellent. It's very good. Tell us about Mind the Product. You've nurtured, you, you raised and nurtured the community for product managers. And I'm assuming the, the reason for that was because you had a product related to that. Uh, and then you detached it and it got acquired this year, which, well, congrats. Right. Yeah. What is the thinking behind that? And congrats well, again on the great work thanks. and on the acquisition. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I mean, to, to clarify, we didn't create the community because we had a product. Uh, the community actually came first. Oh, um, okay. So, I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So Mind the Product was founded by myself and Simon, who's also one of the founders of, of Prodpad. And Martin was there in the very, very early days. And basically what had happened was uh, myself and Simon were uh, getting together, um, talking about this idea of starting a product camp in London. I'd heard about this thing in the US and knew that I wanted to meet other product people. And Simon got on board with this idea of helping me out with the product camp. And next thing you know, we're running this. And then somebody said, oh, you need to be Martin. You know, he's, he's talking about this thing called product tank. And before you know it, we were all working together. We ran the first product camp, had a product tank on the tail end of it. And then the two events sort of got mashed together. And we came up with this um, idea of having a, a blog for product people. And we said, what would a London-based blog for product people be called? And uh, we, were, we were throwing around names. And I said, well, mind the gap, mind the product. 
and I thought it was terrible at first, but Martin's like, no, no, that's good. That's good. Let's, let's, let's keep it. Right. We stuck with it. Not really thinking about what happens when we go international with it. And yeah, it's, it stuck. It worked. And it was only after a few months of working with them on that, that I'd, I shared this idea that I'd had and had some mock-ups and some ideas around this set of tools for product manager. I shared it with Simon and he was like, oh, well, this is quite cool. You know, if you did this and this and this, that would make it better. And also, you know, this would be easy to build. You know, I could build the back end. I'm like, you can build back end because I can build front end, which was kind <laughs> of a lie at the time. I mean, I knew enough bootstrap and jQuery to get something done. This is back in the days of, you know, when you could build an app out of that sort of stuff and, and it would fly. Um, and it did, right? We've built the first version and, um, you know, it stood up. So we, we, we kicked it off. Um, but yeah, Mind the Product actually preceded Prodpad by a few months and actually by a couple of years, if you count by when it was actually formed as a company. Very weird product naming question. Why Why did you call it Prodpad, not ProductPad back in the day? Uh, I mean, seven letters, a dot com. I mean, not bad. Also, ProductPad may have already been taken because it was, mm -hmm. I'm not sure. Yeah. I can't remember, but ProductPad. Uh, because Zappy. of the domain, like the business yeah. the validation. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. and a whole, whole domain there is a proper .com. I mean, that was rare, even back then. So back in the day, you were one of uh, like the pioneers in the product management space. And now, well, it's like mushrooms of the, after the rain in terms of how many products are there. What is your competitive edge? How do you differentiate yourself? And if you have a demo, like how do you explain the benefits of adopting ProdBed over other tools? Right. I mean, the, the competitive space is still pretty open out there. I mean, a lot of the All tools right. out <laughs> Yeah. I mean I mean a lot of the tools out there are uh, focusing very much on making like timeline roadmaps. Not many of them are really focusing on best practice being a great tool for lean teams. We're the only one who really sticks to the now, next, later and has ideas and feedback that's connected to that, like as a whole platform. You know, if you're taking a look at uh, some of the other tools out there, they're uh, very much structured around having uh, old school roadmaps. Um, so we very much differentiate and say, hey, you know what, if, if you want that, that's for you. Um, but people tend to self-select and say, actually, you know what, I've tried that and it It sucked. I want something better and newer, and I want something that's actually going to help me become a better product manager. And it's actually built by product people who know what they're doing. There have been many products recently on customer research management, which kind of jives into your feedback part of the tool. I'd like to call out uh, Dovetail, dovetailapp.com. It's pretty gorgeous looking for me as a designer. And Aurelius, another tiny seed company from our peers at Tiny Seed. So worth exploring. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that the competitive landscape isn't as busy just yet. and You've been able to find your competitive edge. <laughs> as we're wrapping up today's episode, what would be one do and one don't for our listeners as they try to develop their roadmaps? Uh, great question. So when you are setting up your roadmap, don't try to create a perfect roadmap right off the bat. Think of your roadmap as a prototype but for your strategy to start really simple, like quite literally on a few post-it notes or back of a piece of paper or something really simple, right? Uh, the, the ProdPad version of the roadmap is super, super simple because it just gives you a few blocks and says, hey, what are the problems you're trying to solve and why? And use that to set the order in which you think that you should tackle these problems. And then really early on, share that roadmap. 
right? Just like you'd share a prototype. The whole point of sharing a prototype is to get feedback on it and to take those assumptions and validate them or invalidate them so you know whether you're right or wrong. The last thing you want to do is have a roadmap that has never been seen before. And then you present this really, really fleshed out version that's wrong, right? That presents the wrong version of your strategy. So what you should be doing is really thinking about getting your assumptions down on paper, down in something really simple, a a simple version of uh, a ProdPad roadmap, for example, and then bring in your colleagues, have them look at it. And then they'll say, hey, you know what? I, I don't agree. I think it should go that the other than the other thing. Okay, cool. Now you've got a conversation going. Adjust the roadmap based on the conversations you're having with the team around you. And then you'll strengthen your strategy over time. So start really simple and share really early on. I'm going to go on a tangent question. Uh, So stay with us for another few minutes. How do you feel that we had a great uh, episode about product management at UI Breakfast lately when we talked that it's, it's a pretty challenging role mentally because on one hand you do own the roadmap and on the other hand there are so many stakeholders and the actual like CEO and whoever who dictates what to do do you have any tips on managing that for a product manager doesn't right. feel yet empowered for 100 percent yeah I mean as a product person it can be really tough because you end up with this roadmap that's often full of stuff that you didn't actually want in the first place, full of constraints that you didn't want in the first place. And um, uh, you end up being responsible for it, but it wasn't your idea in the first place, right? It's why product management is one of the toughest roles out there. And so there are times when you've got to push back on that and say, hey, look, you can't just be putting all of this stuff on the product team to go deliver because we can't always go deliver the stuff. Or even if we did deliver it, it wouldn't be the right stuff to do. You know, we can't represent product if we're going to just be delivering a whole bunch of stuff, features, which aren't actually the right stuff. Like, do you want product to be effective and to go do discovery and find the right problems to solve? Or do you actually just want to go hire an agency to go build your pet projects, right? So there is a case for pushing back and standing up for product in some of these businesses where you end up with your bosses or your sales team or whatever trying to lead the roadmap too heavy-handedly. I've actually written a guide, and it's called Ditch the Timeline Guide. (laughs) And it basically talks about where timeline roadmaps come from, where the now, next, later comes from, uh, how it all fits together, how it works with OKRs, but it also includes a guide at the end, um, a page at the end about how to convince tricky stakeholders to get on board with it. And it covers bosses and investors and um, sales, marketing, customers, right? All these different tricky stakeholders that you might have to get on board. So if anybody wants to take a look at that, I'd uh, definitely recommend um, giving it a go. We're going to link to that in the show notes for sure. Uh, So you did one do, and how about the don't part of the question? So when you're setting up uh, your roadmap, don't be afraid to uh, share the roadmap with external stakeholders, right? Don't be afraid to share the roadmap widely because the more eyes that you get on it, the more validation you're going to get with it. Right. A lot of teams tend to hide the roadmap quite internally. But once you've actually removed the timeline aspect to it, all you have there is essentially a list of areas of focus, problems that you could solve. And it gives you a chance to say, here's where we're going with it. 
does this align with the vision that you think that we should have that you think that um, this this product is going towards? And, you know, if you share this out there and your customers say, whoa, this doesn't make sense to us at all. You hear that from one customer. Okay, whatever. You hear that from all your customers. Well, that's telling you something about where the market is going. And so it's helping you be lean, but on a much more strategic scale, right? It's helping you understand where you should be really thinking about going. It's giving you lots and lots of insight. And so don't be afraid of sharing your roadmap publicly, but definitely don't put dates on that roadmap because your customers will try to hold you to that and say, oh, well, you said this is going to be out by September and it's October now. Where's my stuff? So yeah, get your product roadmap out there. It's scary though, because now next and especially later, what if something changes and the later stuff is going to be replaced with something else or never get shipped because something takes a priority. And it feels like you've already promised this to the customers that you'll be building it. That's scary. And it's also scary that your competitors will study the roadmap and uh, be very well informed about where you're heading. So all scary all around. Like I have a lot of objections. What's your uh, take on those? You know what? The the roadmap is not a perfect plan or a promise. And you're going to get more from the feedback of airing it and getting that feedback and understanding as to whether it's the right stuff to build than you will from your customers holding you to it or your competitors getting at it. Like for any customers who look at that roadmap and say, oh, I was disappointed that this wasn't done. Well, that's actually interesting insight. Like if, if you take something off the roadmap and everyone screams, why did you take it off the roadmap, right? Like you have better replace it with something that everyone went, wow, yeah, that's much more impactful, right? So it is, it gives you insight about what's what's useful or not, right? You also aren't making any promises. Remember that when you're selling your product, you're selling the product that you have today. The roadmap is not, you shouldn't be selling your, your customers based on like, you know, you're buying this roadmap and that's why you're paying for us. You're buying, you're selling them the product that you have today and your sales and marketing should be doing the job to sell what you have here today. The roadmap is just to help you validate as to whether you're heading off in the right direction so that you're actually going that right direction. Now, in terms of your competitors, honestly, they're struggling to set, to make their own roadmap, let alone trying to make your roadmap too. I mean, don't put your secret sauce stuff on there, right? Like that would be silly, but honestly, and you're not putting like super granular details about like how you're going to attack these problems. You're just talking about the problem areas that you're going to be going into, which frankly, if they did any discovery, they'd probably find some of the same stuff anyways. You're not going to lose all that much by putting your stuff out there. Frankly, the way that I see it is you're not going to put anything on your public facing roadmap that somebody's not going to be able to get from you if they called you up and said, hey, I love your product. We're about to buy, but really want to know what it is that you're working on next anyways. And this is the type of stuff that you divulge. So your customer could hear that on the phone and record you. Your competitor could hear that on the phone and record you. So what difference does it make if you put it public and someone sees it and gets that information anyways? The best thing that's going to happen is that you're going to get feedback on it, and then you'll know as to what's making people react to it. And that is really interesting info. Thanks so much for sharing uh, all this advice today. It was great. Uh, Where can people find uh, your personal writing, speaking, and uh, your product online? Right. Yeah. So you can all find me on LinkedIn. I'm Jana Basto. I'm easy to find there. Connect with me. You can find me on Twitter. I'm simply Basto there. So come say hi. If you want to check out ProdPad, you can start a free trial. It's prodpad.com. 
Uh, we also have a sandbox mode of ProdPad, and it's completely free. You don't even need a credit card or anything like that. You don't even need to sign up. You can just jump in and start playing around. So if you hit up prodpad.com sandbox, you get a, a version of ProdPad, which has been pre-filled with data product management data. So there's OKRs, there's example roadmaps with uh, ideas and experiments and feedback and all sorts of stuff in there. So you can start playing around, you can move it all about, see how it all fits. And you know, if you mess it all up, you can reset it. And then you can move to your own account and create your own versions of your Lean Roadmaps. Fantastic. Thanks again, Jana. Good luck with the product and the product of your customers and everything. And uh, have a wonderful rest of your week. Wonderful. Thank you so much. You too. Thanks for listening. You can find a written recap for this episode at userless.com slash podcast. Please help us grow by leaving a review on iTunes. <laughs>